0: Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. Before we begin, I would also like to add a trigger warning for anyone who is sensitive to certain topics. Please take care. Pause it. Take a breath if you need to. You may not be comfortable hearing or watching.
1: We are taught that to be born Amish is a privilege. It's your birthright. For you to go out in the world, you are taking that privilege and stepping on it. I escaped and I didn't exist on paper. I didn't have an identity. I didn't even have a birth certificate. I didn't have a social security number. I basically didn't exist. I didn't even have clothing.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Your role as an Amish woman or an AFAB person is literally to submit to whatever men are in charge of you. And because you have these ex-Amish men who go around talking about what it's like to be an Amish woman and they have no perspective of what it's like to be an Amish woman or a girl. They don't know what it's like.
0: Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're only listening and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like, subscribe, join in on the conversation, and your support for the guests means a lot. So today's guest, I was connected from a few different people and it was so synchronistic because I was watching her on a peacock series called the sins of the amish and as i was watching it i was connected to her i was like oh my gosh i wanted to talk to her this is so amazing and so i'm so happy to have her on to tell her story about leaving the amish things that she experienced in the community which this may be a hard listen i just want to put that out there for anyone who's sensitive to certain topics around And without further ado, I will welcome Mary Byler. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. And you are an advocate. You've been speaking out for a while now. And so I'm just loving what you're doing as far as advocating for survivors of abuse within these communities and giving people a
1: voice. Thank you. Yeah. It's a journey. That's for sure. And I do what I have to really I do what I have to do to be able to look at myself in the mirror. Because the thing is, is just because I escape my Amish community and I escape the abuse that I was living in doesn't mean that I don't have people within those communities that I don't care about. Yeah, of course. That's the furthest thing from the truth. The truth is there are many, I have many relatives that I care very deeply about that are still within the church. But because I'm shunned and I've been put in the bond since 2004... I have not had consistent or even meaningful connections with many of those people since then.
0: Wow, that's so difficult. Would you mind explaining for those who aren't familiar what a bond means?
1: So, within the Amish churches that I grew up in, I lived in five different Amish churches. I was born into an Ape Troyer Amish church, and then I went on to live in four other Old Order Amish churches. But within those churches, they all universally practice what is called the bond. Bond is a thing that happens when you have sinned greatly. Like, for example, the perpetrators of sexual against me as a child, and they were put in the bond for six weeks. The consequence of the bond is then the Maidonius practice, because for those who don't know, we speak English as a second language. I didn't learn how to speak English until I went to Amish school when I was six years old. That's when I had to start learning how to speak English. Our church services are all held in high German, and we technically learn three different languages now, there are many communities where people are not necessarily fluent in high German mm-hmm. or even families where people are not necessarily fluent in high German. But in in their language, what we would call it is we would say somebody was put in the bond and then a do happened, which is something that is practiced. It is an action that is taken. And in the communities that I lived in, if somebody was in the bond, you were not allowed to sit at the table and eat with them. You were not supposed to talk to them except to admonish them to repent from their sins. Mm. And they had to be taken up in the church district, their home church district that they were in. So they would be put in the bond in in two week increments because we only had church every other Sunday. Okay. So because I reported a when I escaped from my communities because I spent most of my Amish life my earliest memories involve abuse and I spent most of my Amish life trying to find safety and when I escaped I reported the abuse and there were five people arrested from my immediate family um, they put me in the bond, and now my doing is practiced against me they're not supposed to take anything from my hand they're not supposed to take money from me and a mm-hmm. whole list of other things. The thing about the mitong, though, the shunning, that can vary amongst different communities and different families as to how strictly they enforce that.
0: So am I understanding correctly that the bond and shunning are separate things or is that the same?
1: The bond is what you get placed into. Okay. The shunning is the action that is taken. Got it. You are understanding that correctly.
0: Okay. I think what breaks my heart the most is the victim blaming and shaming why you were punished for just trying to find safety and trying to find justice for what had happened to you.
1: The victim blaming and shaming. So part of that also goes along with one of the things that I sometimes talk about is when I was really little, um, we had a dog and I would lay on this dog and and i would fall asleep on this dog and then i would wake up and i would be absolutely utterly terrified because this dog was gone because i wasn't safe like this dog was my friend mm. but then when i got a little older one of the things that that happened is sitting at the at the breakfast table when i got up to like clear away the breakfast table because we had very strictly defined gender roles like from my earliest memory it's like I wasn't supposed to want to grow up to be a preacher. I wanted to grow up to be a preacher, y'all. I Mm -hmm. wanted to be a preacher. And now you are. And I wasn't allowed to do (laughs) that. In your own way. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to do that because only men and boys can be preachers. When Mm -hmm. I played church with my brother, I couldn't even be the preacher because I was like, really? So, anyways, w- along with the strictly defined gender roles, I was expected to clear away the breakfast table after we had made breakfast for the whole family and we had eaten breakfast. And my stepfather was still sitting at the table. And he said, I needed to, to walk properly because my, my walk was what was enticing people to me. No. He made me practice walking. He paraded me back and forth across the kitchen until I was walking to his satisfaction. When you start talking about the objectification and sexualization of children. Yeah. That is an act of objectification. And that is absolutely sexualizing a child along with victim blaming.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's so awful. I think one of the things that really stood out to me from the Sons of the Amish was you were reading from a booklet that was given to you at 11 about how it's like a sex education for an 11-year-old, if you could even call it that. And you are reading one of the passages about how even when you sleep, you need to make sure you're covered because if you are not covered while you are sleeping, your brother may be enticed by you. And the fact that they're teaching boys that they can even be enticed by their sisters is so twisted.
1: That booklet is called To a Girl of Eleven. It's published by Pathway Publishers. It's written by an anonymous Amish minister. And it also includes another phrase that really grinds my gears a little bit. That is the fact that it tells girls of eleven not to climb up on ladders in front of their brothers. (sighs) There's just so much. This Amish minister anonymously published a series of booklets. It's called The Sacred Subjects. They were published in either the late 1970s or the early 1980s. I know that I have evidence of them being published in uh, and circulating around the 1980s. Its counterpart to a boy of 12, which, by the way, this is the box it comes in. And what it says on here is, um, do not open for parents only. They later added more booklets to it. But to a boy of 12 is really about beastity <gasps> and homosexuality. What does it say it about that? It doesn't necessarily say, oh, well, homosexuality is a gross abomination before God. And they might find themselves tempted by animals, oh but they gosh. shouldn't engage in that.
0: There's something that I was reading. A few people commented this, and I want your perspective to know the validity or the truth to this. Is it true that it's common for boys to sexually abuse animals in the Amish communities?
1: I listened to multiple men confess in church that they um, had sexual interactions with animals in Amish churches. Yes. <sighs> I'm not saying that all Amish men do it. What I am saying is it does happen.
0: Yeah. And in your opinion, I'm trying to understand how these distortions come about, these perversions. Do you think it is just because of the severely strict policies around sex and the zero sex education? And why do you think this is so prevalent?
1: Well, it's so prevalent because partially because up until the, industrial revolution, the Amish church, um, members of the Amish church looked almost the same as like the regular society people. But when the industrial revolution happened, there was growth that happened in society that didn't happen within Amish communities. And then what happened is in 1972, if I'm not mistaken, Wisconsin versus Yoder happened. That is a court ruling, a Supreme Court ruling um, the state of Wisconsin went after three Amish families because they uh, wanted them to send their kids to public schools, and they lost. The state of Wisconsin lost. And so from then on, I had teachers. Like, I, I myself experienced going to five different Amish schools. And inside of those five different Amish schools, I had teachers who had only went to an Amish eighth-grade education because we don't have the curriculum standards that the rest of the world has access to. Mm-hmm. When you control information, you control the growth of a community or a group of people. Mm-hmm. In our schools, we were taught reading, writing, arithmetic, English, phonics, German, high German. At the end of my schooling, I got a little bit of history and geography. We didn't have anything about health or science or even bodily autonomy or sex ed or personhood or any of the plethora of other things that are required for public schools. Yeah. And even if our teachers they're selected sometimes purely by virtue of they're from a good family or they have a good dress. Our teachers didn't necessarily know how to do the arithmetic problems that were in our arithmetic books.
0: Where did those curriculums come from? Do you know? Did the community create the curriculum?
1: There's a school board who oversees it, but the ministry oversees the school board. Okay. And that is like in each community, they have different ways that it's set up. In some communities, they have the book society. We didn't have that. We just had the ministry and the school board. They controlled the curriculum. I had books that had pages ripped out, stapled together, things blacked out, etc., Again, when you control information, you are controlling an entire group of people.
0: Yeah. I have a comment here from one of our other videos that I like to read from Zeus Athena 26. Shalise, please see if you can find a woman who has left the Amish or maybe elsewhere. I've heard several men discuss growing up Amish, but never a woman. I know it's much harder leaving as a woman, but it has happened. And then she went on to ask about the menstrual cycles. So what is the education around, because I know you're, you're not really familiar with your anatomy, at least to my knowledge. So do women know what's going on when they get their periods?
1: Let me just touch on the anatomy first. Yeah. I grew up speaking primarily PA Dutch. And our languages that we had, we didn't actually have words for vagina. I didn't know that there were words for vagina. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about how that affects you, there's a there's a big, big discrepancy there because we didn't even have words to discuss it. I didn't know what was happening to me when I got my first period. I thought I was bleeding to death. Mm. I did not know what was happening to me. I had no idea that was going to happen. Yeah. And nobody told me that was going to happen. I didn't know. And then I was told by my mother that now I can become pregnant. And I should be very careful that I don't become pregnant because you don't want to become pregnant.
0: Wow. Do you remember how old you were when that happened? Twelve. Oh. So in your community, you understood what pregnant meant.
1: Well, I can have babies. Okay. Yes.
0: Okay, so were you aware at that point of how babies were made? Was that ever explained to you when you got your period? No. But she expected you to know not to get pregnant?
1: Because it's my job as an AFAB person to sit there and regulate how men and boys observe me and prevent them from sexually abusing me and raping me violently all the time. Yeah. It's not really so bad that he me what's really so bad is that i won't shut up about it that's what's bad in their eyes that was my mother's eyes
0: Mm. not
1: even in their eyes in my mother's eyes wow that's why her use of the sacred subjects shouldn't really surprise you And it's not true that I was given those booklets at 11. It's true that I had access to those booklets.
0: Right. So, and this is a hard question, and and feel free to skip it if it's too uncomfortable. At what point did you understand the abuse that had been happening to you was considered sex, and that's how babies were
1: made? When I was 14, I heard a story about another Amish girl, who was also fourteen, whom I knew, and she was impregnated by her brother. That's that's when it really sank in. But you know, my mother had a solution. Let me teach you to make this tea. This tea that I went searching for as an adult, that I found out as an adult, is in the board of patient. Really. But I should be grateful that I wasn't impregnated. I was told that. Oh, my gosh.
0: (sighs) So you were made to drink this tea because she knew that you were being assaulted. Yes. But she wasn't willing to stop the assault, which were her other children. She wasn't willing to reprimand them.
1: It was more than her other children. People know about the people that were arrested and prosecuted. What they don't know is that I have an Amish cousin who I was six years old, under six years old, probably. He was over the age of 18, and he (sighs) brutally raped me. I was a baby. And you know what happened? He's an Amish deacon today. (laughs) He was never prosecuted.
0: (gasps) Wow. I'm so sorry, Mary. I'm so sorry. With everything that you've gone through, it's just it's horrific and it's not okay. It's not okay. And I know that you know that. I just have to say it. I know that. Yeah.
1: But it's also it's not right because like, you know, I can't I can't sit here and be silent about it when I know it's still happening today. Yeah. Just because I escaped and I reached safety doesn't mean that that this isn't still happening today to children, because how many perpetrators do we know of child sexual abuse who have literally sat there and left a string of victims throughout their entire lives? How likely is it that they have actually been rehabilitated? And... How likely is it that a convicted registered sex offender who finds God is actually never going to re-offend?
0: Yeah. I also want people to understand that your story is not unique to these Amish communities as far as the, the amount of abuse that goes on. It's not just like a fluke is what I'm trying to say. It was very common in these communities. And one of those stories that I'm thinking of and what I'd like to bring up is how children, young girls, didn't even feel safe using the bathroom at school in the porta-potties because that's where assault often happened. Would you mind speaking about that or how you felt about that?
1: Let me tell you. Let me tell you what I saw in Amish schools. I literally... I wet myself in front of the entire school at the back blackboard because I was so terrified of going to the bathroom because I heard girls screaming in them. (sighs) So is it is it unique to Amish communities? No. Why do I talk about it as as like being inside of Amish communities? Because I know that experience. I don't know what it's like for other children.
0: Yeah. So. Because. Because the Amish so heavily focus on forgiveness. Can you walk us through what it's like when somebody actually admits to these crimes and how the community handles it?
1: Typically, what I've seen, and I've seen a few different responses, but typically what I've seen is that there can be a variety of responses. In my specific case, he was sorry And I'm supposed to forgive him. And if I don't forgive him, my sin can be just as great, if not greater than his sin of me. Because let's threaten a child that was just, you know, over and over and over with like going to hell if you don't forgive him. And I do mean the burning, everlasting, eternal fire and brimstone hell. Because that's not adding a layer of trauma, is it? Wow. So what would happen is, for me, I was told to forgive them. And that means I have to be silent about it. And I don't ever tell anybody about it. Because forgiveness equates silence far too often. And then, when the ministry got my letter that I wrote them in 2004, they didn't do anything. And when I reported it, because one of my The worst one, who was arrested, called the place that I was living at. I literally hung up with him and called and reported it. Because the thing is, is that even though I had escaped and I thought I had reached safety, I wasn't safe. I wasn't safe, physically safe, until I left the entire state of Wisconsin. And the church was a large part of that. Because the church responded by talking about, oh, she had flower seeds that she dried in her closet. We think she's on drugs.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Oh well, you know, seizures are so naffy, which basically means that you're just nervous, like you have nerve problems. They put them in the bond for six weeks, which, ironically, our deacon's son. Drank until he, he passed out at the singing one Sunday and he had the same disciplinary action six weeks in the bond. And then we're not supposed to talk about it to anybody outside of the church, which, by the way, I'm sinning because I'm telling you church business, and I was baptized into the Amish church. And so we make a vow during our baptism ritual multiple times during instruction class, and then when we get baptized, we promise we will never tell church business to anybody that's not a member of our church.
0: Mm. And that's why they shunned you so heavily and didn't support you when you went to the police.
1: Because that should have been enough. But they haven't taken any steps. They haven't removed them, their access to potential future victims. They haven't done anything to rehabilitate them. And I'm sorry, but going to somebody who was chosen by lot or who is a minister doesn't mean that that minister has the, the cape, capabilities and knowledge needed and required to rehabilitate sex offenders.
0: Yeah, we see it all the time where if the church, this is across many different groups, that if the church says this person has been forgiven, you're just supposed to forget about it and pretend like everything's fine. And meanwhile, you have these survivors, these victims who are crying out for help and they need support and they need counseling and they don't get it because they're told to just forgive and that you're the problem you just need to move on and you're not being christ-like or whatever it is they paint it in this toxic positivity
1: when these people need help yep i just didn't have enough faith that's another one. Oh, jeez you you touched on that it's like that i just didn't have enough faith and furthermore like i got emdr therapy as an amish girl i can't the steps that it took to get there was insane because I was terrified because another thing that they will sometimes do is they will take perpetrators of sexual abuse of children. They will take them to plane run facilities. They are literally run. They are unlicensed. They are unqualified. They're run by plain people and they will take them there for I've seen the curriculums from some of them in court documents, and what it looks like to me is a book club, basically a book club for perpetrators of child sexual abuse, and then what they will do, and by the stories that I have heard personally for almost 20 years—over 20 years, actually, because I heard them while I was still in the church, too— but what they will do is they will take the wives of these men to these facilities and they will tell the wives that if you just upheld your marriage bed properly your husband wouldn't be in your children oh my gosh and furthermore i've mm. sat in a church service where a woman who had 14 children got on her knees before the entire church and confessed to not upholding her marriage bed properly I'm like, what did she do? Say, not tonight? I'm too tired? Where is the autonomy for women? Yeah. And furthermore, like, we are also taught things like we should look to a man to tell us what we are allowed to say and when we're allowed to say it. Like, I was riding in a car, and I talk about this sometimes on some of the podcasts that I've done, where I was riding in a car and... My brother was riding along with us. He was in the front seat. I was in the back seat because, you know, the man has to be like in the most elevated position. And the driver asked me something and I wasn't allowed to answer it. And I knew it simply by the look on his face. Another time I was riding in a car with my mother and my stepfather, and the driver asked us about Romspringen, and I was going to tell him that that is a myth. Like, that's not what it really is. It's a lie. And you know what? I just got the look. I knew better than to say a word. And later on, I was told, we don't tell the world our business. We just let them think whatever they will because they don't know what, what, what it's like to be us. And, you know, this is the right way.
0: Yeah. Would you mind sharing why the patriarchy is so strong because of men viewing women as property? um, Are you able to expand on that to give us a little bit more context as to the, the depth of their belief
1: in that? Well, Adam was made first. So the woman was made second from his rib. And because of that, you know, the woman is to always submit. Your role as an Amish woman or an AFAB person is literally to submit to whatever men are in charge of you. And that includes bowing down to whatever they do when they your children. Shut up. And I'd like to point to a case in Indiana last year, last year, year before last, I don't know, within the last three years, there were three Amish bishops who were charged with intimidating a victim. And you know why? Because the woman had a restraining order against her abusive husband. And CYS Child Services told her if she drops that restraining order, they will take her kids. She was supposed to submit to the will of the Lord and let the world take her kids and drop that restraining order, and she did not. And so the church put her in the bond, and for over two years she was in the bond. They couldn't have communion for over two years in that church district because of that. So they had brought in three Amish bishops who overwrote the bishop of her church who was standing with the woman. And they took control. They silenced that bishop for a year. Wow. Why do you think the patriarchy is so strong? Because of that. Because of that. Because anybody who stands up against it, and because they use that biblical reference to justify this. And because you have these... Quite frankly, ex-Amish men who go around talking about what it's like to be an Amish woman and they have no perspective of what it's like to be an Amish woman or a girl. They have no perspective. They don't know what it's like. They know what it's like to be an Amish boy, but they have no, no grasp on what it's really like to be an Amish girl.
0: I'm so happy that you were willing to come on and give your perspective because I knew it was going to be a completely different story and I wanted to give both sides. And so I just really appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and being so open and honest. It really means a lot that you're willing to share.
1: Thank you. Thank you really for having me. But I think like part of like the no perspective is like they don't understand what it's like to even as adults be expected to lay down to your husband, your father, your your ministry in every way possible. Like you have no personhood when you're in that kind of environment and and that person is abusive. Yeah. I got a lot to say on why is this patriarchy so prevalent. The other part of that is is that when you start talking about academia and Amish people, there are literally so-called world experts on Amish people who have built entire legacies off of the backs of Amish children by literally doing, I don't even know if this is research, but correct me if I'm wrong. They will go to the Amish bis- businessman, their friend, and say, well, I I want to know this. And the businessman will say this. And to fully understand what this does, bear with me, because it's all connected. The businessman will say, well, my experience is this. And he's speaking truth about his experience. But then the researcher goes back to his university or his college, and he says, well, I spoke to my friend, the Amish businessman, and this is what he says. And then his friend, the researcher, goes and writes it in a book that he said this. And then they go back and they cite that in an academic article as the end-all be-all.
0: Yeah, it's not the complete picture.
1: And then that has been used to build the Amish branding. And if you want to talk about Amish branding, in Lancaster County alone, $2.4 billion in tourism, Amish tourism industry estimated last year alone. $2.4 billion. They have to protect the branding. And it's not even coming from Amish people necessarily. Right. And then to fully understand why that is so harmful, you have to understand that I've often described the Amish communities that I lived in as being a caste system. Are you familiar with those? No. So what you have is you, if you think about it from a ladder, it's like within each church district. So you have Amish as a whole. You have different types of Amish. You have Old Order Amish, New Order Amish, and Trooper Amish, Ape Troyer Amish, Dan Amish, Beachy Amish Mennonites, Amish Mennonites, Marantha Amish Mennonites. But the Beachy Amish Mennonites and the Marantha Mennonites, like, they're not really Amish and they're not really Mennonites. They're their own separate brand. Mm -hmm. And they're a fairly young group. The Beachy Amish, they're the newest one that I'm aware of specifically and then you have a variety of all these other different types of churches and that's overall but then when you start looking at the settlements we call them settlements we don't call them communities okay i'll use communities for y'all but you look at the community and inside the community twice a year the ministry gets together for what they call a deelofa assembling and that is a kind of like a convention where they rewrite the Otting's brief, which is the rules of the church. But each bishop and his ministry rewrite the rules of the church twice a year for their church district. So it can vary from like the north end of the settlement to the west end of the settlement as to what rules they're actually enforcing. Right. And then within the church districts, once you have the ministry now you start getting into the ladder as well below that you'll have like businessmen wealthy businessmen i've known millionaires who literally would pay off somebody's $50,000 hospital bill in the, with the blink of an eye there are people who come from good established families and then you have your middle class people maybe they're not really that or they're not really that but they're they're all right you know And then you have your lower class people. And here's the thing. A lot of things can make you move up and down the ladder. If you're from a lower class person and and, or family, then you marry somebody from a good family. You can elevate your status, but people might really talk about that because, you know, he just really did a favor to that girl. If a boy from a good family marries a woman from a lower class family, oh, well, you know. He really did her a favor.
0: Oh, wow. Can I interject? Because I have a question. Um, So within those, the hierarchy of the families, does that determine where the money goes? I mean, the $2.4 billion, where is that actually going? How is it being distributed?
1: I don't know, because it's Lancaster County. The government benefits from it, like, I believe, okay. because it's from like, that's like a thing. It's like in, in the case that I reported in Pennsylvania, um, that was a concern for the investigating officer and the prosecuting attorney. I got him to admit it. I'm just saying the tourism money and reelection.
0: Okay. So the tourism money doesn't necessarily go to the Amish communities.
1: Not necessarily. There are people that literally use Amish as their, oh, I'll give you Amish buggy rides. There were never Amish in day in their life. Got it. People use Amish as a token, as an object. But anyways, furthermore, the other thing I wanted to talk about with the going up and down the ladder, like you have people, people who don't join church when they should, like they might lose like some, some, some status or people who don't get married when they should you might lose some status. Mm. If like the church thinks you're just not managing your money right, they will literally appoint a committee of three men to come in and take over and manage your money.
0: Wow. What are some other tangible things that happen when you lose or gain status? Like how does that affect the family?
1: Well, I would say that my book is a reflection of what happens when your biological parent dies and you're young and how the communities often respond um, because there were children that literally wouldn't even play with me or talk to me because my dad died mm. when I was five years old. And so I was a widow's kid and the church had to help take care of us because my My oven, my egg donor, my mother, she wasn't allowed to work outside of the home. And because of that, they kept us alive. But really, the amount of times I was told to be grateful for the shittiest things. I should be grateful they sent me to a home to live where people repetitively raped me. I should be grateful where they sent me to a home to live when I was under the age of 10, where I was expected to work off my keep. Where I wasn't allowed to eat at the same table and the same food as the rest of the people in the home. I am supposed to be grateful.
0: At least you're alive, they said. And living in your own personal hell.
1: Yep. This is why I don't go there very often.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame me for that. There were a lot of questions about what happens when a wife is widowed, so she's able to get remarried. How does that work?
1: Um typically a widow and a widower will get remarried if they want to. Like we I'm not really sure how they met each other. I don't know, but there was like a 30-year age gap if I remember correctly, or an almost 30-year age gap, something like that. Like his wife had died Okay, You know, the worst part is, is if somebody is not widowed and their husband or wife runs away from the community and escapes, then, then there's such a pity for them because they can't get remarried. As long as that person is still alive, they can't get remarried oh, and wow. they're expected to live out the rest of their days alone.
0: Oh my gosh. It just adds a lot of context as to why people don't leave. There's so much at stake.
1: Not just your family; it's everybody and everything. And when you lose everybody and everything, it's it's a culture. It's culture shock.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you don't know how to navigate that. And back back when I escaped, there was at least like Amish deception where. People had discussion boards. I've met the people who wrote the book called Amish Deception. That book tells the story of one family's journey in New York State as they fought to have investigations into child abuse in the state of New York in the 1990s. And it was an Amish family for the record. But they paved the way for my story to exist and for people like me to exist. And I will forever be grateful for that.
0: Wow. Are you willing to talk about at all how you were able to escape and the trial and how that all happened?
1: I will try, but I can't make any promises. I couldn't even write about it in my book.
0: Whatever you're comfortable with.
1: After I reported it, I went out there wearing a wire... And even today, I can literally feel, you ask me that, and you know what I feel? I feel the cement from the barn as I'm sitting there with my back against it as I'm confronting Johnny. The amount of sheer terror But I'm glad I did it, because you know what? He needed to have some form of of consequences, and at least people will know that he's a convicted registered sex offender for the rest of his life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you did was incredibly brave, and I can't even imagine how you must have felt having to do that because they needed evidence in order to prosecute him. And so y- you were... 17? How old were you at the
1: time? I was 19. 19. Um, I had just turned 20 when I confronted him. Wow. I confronted five people that day. Or four people. I don't remember, quite frankly, so I won't give a number. But I know that I confronted him. I confronted another one. I confronted another one. My brother, who is not a rapist. Interesting, right? I do have those, too. My brother, my brother who had a disability, he died that same year that all the trials were going at the court cases were going on. They were not trials. They all pled. And he died that year. And they had sent Eli and David to prison. And when I went to his funeral, they sent 12 men out, 12 men for little old me, to tell me that it's my fault that Eli and David are in prison. So no, I can't even walk through and view him at his funeral. Oh
0: my gosh. Oh, I am so sorry.
1: Because apparently, again... It's not that it's so bad that I was so many times by so many people. It's that I won't shut up about it. And furthermore, when you start talking about, I know you said you watched Sins of the Amish. Did you see the court hearing?
0: I did. The yeah. one with
1: all the people?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where they stood there and basically made a mockery out of the courtroom? Yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. What it felt like to watch my sister-in-law get up and defend her best husband or her father to get up and claim this sob story about how he's going to lose his farm if if Johnny goes to prison. I'll literally never forget that. It felt like there was an agenda there and it certainly wasn't safety for children
0: right how many people
1: to support them no one was there to support you they literally bust in people from other states i recognized my aunts and uncles from other states in that courtroom and they cried and wept and wailed on command it's almost like you know we just create a scene okay and then they got rewarded for that. Wow. I'm so, I'm so
0: impressed by you and the warrior that you are, and that you were able to stick that out, and that you were able to stand up for yourself despite everything, and that you're still telling your story, and you're still standing up for survivors of abuse, and you are still trying to make a difference. It's just incredible the way you've been able been able to do that
1: but the the thing that i was completely like i escaped and i didn't exist on paper i didn't have an identity i didn't even have a birth certificate i didn't have a social security number i basically didn't exist i didn't even have clothing and so somebody was kind and generous and gave me a couple t-shirts and two pairs of jeans and then I wasn't one of the ones who wanted to cling into, like, Amish clothing as being more comfortable. I wanted to explore. Um, and I went and I tried on, like, all these different kinds of clothing at the thrift store because that was literally all I could do. Somebody donated $40 to me to go buy clothing. Um, I couldn't even get a job because I didn't exist on paper. That was a problem for a while. I didn't have a high school diploma, which was also a barrier to getting a job. I didn't have a resume. I didn't know what a resume was. And then people had to write certified letters to establish my identity, to vouch that I was who I said I was and that I was born where I said I was born. And I had to apply for a social security card. I had to do all of these steps. And it takes time to do that. And it also takes money. And the thing is, is people may say, oh, it only takes like $7 to get a copy of your birth certificate. Y'all, if your birth was not recorded, and that does happen to people, it takes more than $7 to get a copy of your birth certificate. Yeah. And furthermore, $7 is a lot of money for somebody who has nothing. yeah so then i also didn't know how to drive a car which is luckily i mean there were people around me who taught me how to drive a car and get a driver's license and i went to the community college and i got my ged and eventually i got a high school diploma and then i joined the army and then i got out of wisconsin (laughs)
0: i didn't know that about you you joined the army
1: and then i got chaptered out of the army because i was pregnant and i didn't have a family care plan Mm. and then i went to college and i got an associate's degree in medical billing and coding Wow! and i ended up actually living in germany for five years by that point in time i had lived all over the u.s like i i mean coast to coast like yeah And then I lived in Germany for five years. And when I lived there, I got to travel. I got to see things. And it really gave me a lot of perspective on, like, what it meant to be Amish. And it's really kind of crazy. Because part of what people also don't realize is so, like, you know, we are taught that to be born Amish is a privilege. Mm -hmm. It's your birthright. And... For you to go out in the world is for you to basically, and my best translation is basically you're taking that privilege and stepping on it. Mm -hmm. My own mother told me before she died that it would be better if I had died as a baby or in the womb than for me to live my life this way. Oh my gosh, Mary. That was in 2013.
0: Let's talk about how you're doing now and what makes you happy and what gives you peace and what makes you feel at home.
1: Oh, what makes me happy now? Well, I guess I would say it's like I um, took a trip last month. Nasman. No, it was, it was in June. I took a trip in June with a bunch of ex Anabaptists and we went to Vegas together. It was amazing, (laughs) y'all. It was amazing. It wasn't my first time in Vegas, but it was amazing. Yeah. Um, that's something that makes me very happy because it's like we get to go and have new experiences and seek out new things. And we get to like just be, just be. Sometimes it's so important to just be. And then the other part is, is like sometimes I really need that connection with people who have a similar background because yeah. it can get really exhausting for me when people don't get like, okay, so I'm not necessarily going to get that movie reference. Um, I'm a little pop culture impaired. Cause I grew up with like no electricity, no running water. Like we had, we had a, we had a pump, a hand pump in our house for water. Okay. And, and like all of this other stuff. So anyways, I digress. I'm off topic, (laughs) but I don't have to explain all of those things. And so it was amazing to just get to go do that. We got to go see the chain smokers. That was one of my favoriteest things ever. And then just (laughs) spending time with my family and. Yeah living my best life and as always challenging the patriarchy. I do love doing that. (laughs) And I'm currently working on a research project. I co-wrote a research study in 2021 with Dr. Tara Mitchell. It was reviewed by the Lock Haven university in Pennsylvania's institutional review board and approved. And we collected data from January to May of 2022 and we are almost complete with our manuscript to be submitted for publication. Oh but gosh. what it is, if I may, I'd like to talk a little bit about that.
0: Please What me. it is,
1: is about child sexual abuse within Amish, Mennonite, Anabaptist, and other conservative religious communities. We had over 300 r- respondents that were raised inside of Anabaptist communities. And out of those over 300 that were raised inside of Anabaptist communities, we had 177 that are actively inside of Anabaptist communities. Mm. And I'm here to tell you, child sexual abuse happens in every community. No one is exempt from it. Utopia does not exist. Yeah. The respondents out of overall, out of the amount of people that responded, which is about one in two of the people who responded to our survey said they had experienced child sexual abuse.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Let that number sink in. About one in two. That's not the only thing that is really important about this research study because we asked people if they were taught that child sexual abuse was a sin. What was it called? When you start calling it demon-possessed, sex with a child, or we didn't have words for it, you are literally creating a language barrier between the way that the world, most of the world, sees child sexual abuse or talks about it. There is a communication barrier. We have a whole list of terms that these groups have used to include somebody who literally responded and said, we didn't have any words for it. Yeah. There's other people who said that it was the devil tempting the church leaders. Mm. There was a lot of minimization or reclassifying it to moral failure. When you call it moral failure, that's a very vague and ambiguous term. If I say moral failure to you without knowing that, what would you think?
0: I mean, I would just think something bad. They did something wrong. But also, I'm not very religious. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not either. I mean, you know. But still, like, that's a language barrier. If you go and you tell a medical professional that, you know, my husband had a moral failure or my dad had a mother moral failure, where's the... There's a, there's a language barrier.
0: Yeah. Doesn't translate.
1: So there's that. That's one of the things I'm working on. Another thing that I did is in 2021, Jasper Hoffman of the Plain People's podcast, who is, um, ex Eastern Mennonite, if I'm not mistaken. Um, her and I got together a group of people and we went to an Amish awareness meeting. And what we did is we had like a dozen of us there and we collected information and we have compiled resources for people to use who want to better understand what some of the issues are around serving Amish victims of child sexual abuse. Mm. We have a booklet that's called How to Report Abuse and the fact of the matter is is that booklet is available for download on our website, but it's also applicable to anybody pretty much. If you don't yeah. know how to report abuse, there's a booklet. What's the website? The Okay. I founded an organization in 2021 called The Misfit Amish.
0: That's amazing.
1: We are bridging cultural gaps. I'll
0: put a link in the description.
1: It's a collective group of people who work together to raise awareness. And there's even a document there that goes more in depth about each person's role inside of these Resources that we made, like they have been reviewed by professionals. They're not just me saying, Oh, this is a good idea. This is more or less like things that we observed and witnessed and heard. And then we created something from it that kind of meets people where they are because you have to meet people where they are.
0: Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to share resources or podcasts that you want to shout out? Anything that you are doing specifically as well?
1: I also paint a lot like. That painting, those two paintings, the one up top, those are all my paintings. Oh. My whole house is filled with paintings. I make a lot of paintings. And it. I've remade an Amish dress. You should go uh-huh. find it on my t- on the Misfit Amish TikTok. Okay. Because it's hilarious. <laughs> it's not quite right. But you know what I wanna do one day? I wanna have a photo shoot with an Xmo. And I want us <laughs> to s- do side by side the temple garments and the new oh Amish dress God. I made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty great. The temple clothes <laughs> are super
1: special. Um yeah. I would even be open to remaking them for you just so they're not quite as triggering because like oh that's what gosh. I do. I reclaim my Amishness. Like I have genetic conditions. Oh, can I, do we have time? Oh, sure. One of the big things that people don't understand is that we have been intermarrying our cousins for so long. Like our, not our first cousins. We didn't allow that, mm. but For so long, we have been intermarrying our distant cousins that now at almost 400 years in, like we have genetic disorders. Mm -hmm. There's an entire database of genetic disorders listed for Amish and Mennonites and Hutterites. And so for me, I didn't realize that this was really that big of a deal until I was pregnant. And when I was pregnant, I had issues and I had to go for an ultrasound and genetics counseling. And when I went for genetics counseling, the provider asked me if I was by chance, like it was on the paperwork. Were you ever Amish? And it's like, why does this matter? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to tell you that? Yeah. And it turns out there is a higher increased risk of having a child with genetic disorders because of the fact that I was Amish. Wow. Greatly increase the risk. Furthermore, I myself still have medical conditions that are genetic. And so the thing is, is I can't get away from being Amish. You can take the girl out of the Amish, but you can't take the (laughs) Amish out of me. Right. And so another thing is that researchers have said, well, Amish bishops say that if the person leaves the church, they're no longer Amish and so they haven't really investigated the people who exit the church because they're not amish i've literally had researchers tell me that well you're not amish but i was born amish but i've amish genetics that will never go away they're gonna stay with me for the rest of my life could possibly affect my child so i digress Maybe I'm. It's my Amish education showing. Maybe that's really. It.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciate you talking about that. Um, I I do think there were some comments asking about if there were if there was anything going on with the genes because of the intermarrying. So I'm glad that you brought that up.
1: Well, I don't even refer to myself as ex-Amish, really, because I refer to myself as like I'm an inactive Amish person. Like mm. I've exited the culture, but uh, the church. I've exited the church, but I'm not actively Amish but I can't get rid of the genetics in me
0: that makes sense I have something similar but it's just like when I did the DNA testing it showed you're from mountain Mormon West pioneers or something like that I'm like I can't get away it's even (laughs) in my jeans no
1: way yeah it showed -uh. up Yep, (laughs) totally just got you comes up in the fields. yeah Do you want to say to a girl of 11? Yeah. It looks like this. Okay. This is it. I mean, don't worry, though. Cherish your purity.
0: Cherish your purity. I hate that so
1: much. It's purity culture at its finest, in my opinion. At its most dangerous. At its most dangerous. What else do I do nowadays? Well, I published a book last year because I got tired of people. <laughs> Using my story for their benefit and telling it only the way that they want to tell it because there's mm-hmm. more to my story than the trauma. Yeah. And so I'd like to leave y'all, like, I don't know, with some, some things. One is that when I wrote my book, what I did is I wrote down the night terrors, the flashbacks, the, replaying of trauma that I frequently experience to this day. And then I went through and I wrote down the people and the things and the animals that kept me alive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It is a story of desperation and survival. And I would also say that part of it for me, it was almost cathartic to publish my story in my own words for myself and not for it to be used for somebody else's monetary gain or status gain or prestige gain or to further their narrative. Mm-hmm. Rather to have conversations about my grandmother. My grandmother was four foot 11, y'all. And that woman ran the roost. So as much as like Amish women may be under control, again, if you notice, I said like the abuse of people, abuse has overarching similarities between different groups of people. But my grandmother was a whole different breed. And it was, it was really good to be able to do that and kind of talk about that and to have Better conversations about my life than just focused on the trauma. Because I also talk about being at a party and doing a keg stand at a party in my Amish dress because I was a good Amish. No, I'm just kidding. I'm lying. I never met <laughs> a good Amish person.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> so I'm just saying, if you want to really understand like my story, like my book is my recommended read. I'm working on getting it in audio. I don't know when that's planning on being released, but I'm working on it.
0: Yeah. And if you guys want to check that out, it's Reflections and Memories of an Amish Misfit. And we'll also put the link in the description so people can easily find
1: it. Thank you. And then another thing that I do is sometimes I do trainings for people who come in contact with Amish people. Like I've done a few trainings for domestic violence centers and child advocacy centers in multiple states, actually. It's been really amazing to just have the ability to do those things for people, to give people who are desperate to help better information on how to better serve the very group of people they're trying to serve.
0: Wow, that's really powerful. And
1: most of all, I try not to let my dog ruin my life, okay? My dog, Freya, she is uh, 110 pounds. And she's a big baby and she likes to come and sit on my lap. So that's, that's my biggest thing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. I, yeah, Oscar's right here at my feet right now looking up at me like, are you going to let me on your lap in a second? <laughs> He's my little emotional support animal.
1: And <laughs> I have a lot of interests. I do a lot of crafting. I'm a creative person and I'm, I'm an artist. Like, I tell people all the time it's like, even though I was Amish, like, we still had a certain level of creativity to a point. To a point. Mm -hmm. But still, like that, I can't imagine what it would have been like to grow up and to have freedom of expression to where I could be creative as a child in school. Like the, I just can't imagine. But I write, I, I draw sometimes, I crochet and I sew. Like those are my fun activities and I bake, but baking is bad for diabetes, y'all. I'm just letting you know.
0: Yeah, you actually wanted to share some of your poetry.
1: Oh, yes, yes. I have it already.
0: Yeah, let's hear
1: it. Coming out. Did you see how much I tried to be with you? I cared about you, but she beckoned me with her eyes, her smile, her words, her body, her spirit, her soul. I kneeled before you as I pushed the thoughts of her aside. I begged for your love to be like hers. Desperate. I didn't know. You couldn't be what I needed. I couldn't be what you deserved. And I cried. And I begged you to be your friend. Still, she beckoned me with her kindness and her softness. Her hand in mine. Held on tight. She walked beside me every night. Every step. She sees me as I am. Night terrors. Flashbacks. Sleeping problems. Caring. Compassionate. Working to overcome. Loving. Passionate. Always fighting to survive what was done to me against my will. She sees me. She loves me. And I'm enough.
0: Wow. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful, Mary. Thank you for sharing that.
1: You're welcome. It's literally in my book. Because I felt like it needed to end on something. And that's a good place to end it. On being enough. Because if you're listening to this, I want you to know this. You are a whole, worthy, valid human being. Mm -hmm. And that means you're enough. You deserve safety in life. You deserve basic human rights. You deserve access to resources that you need so that your life can be meaningful. You deserve meaningful connections as you go about your life. And you deserve to be healthy, happy, and whole. And you are enough just as you are. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, that's such a good Linda listen, and I don't want to take that away from you, but if I had to have a Linda listen, it's that last line. You are enough, just the way that you are.
1: Oh, wow. Do you have
0: a Linda listen that you want to share that's different than what you just mentioned, which was also great? I mean,
1: does it have to be one sentence? No. I I wrote something else, okay? I don't know. I'll think about if I want this to be the Linda listen or not, but this one... It goes out to all of my rapists, all of them, and all of the people who covered it up for them, all of you. Fuck you. I was worthy. I was enough. I was truthful. I was loving. I was kind. I was modest. I was faithful. I was a believer. I was compassionate. I was grateful. I was generous. I was forgiving. I was abused. I was silent when the abuse escalated. I was told if you truly didn't want stuff to happen to you, it wouldn't keep happening to you. Mm. I was told if you truly had faith, believed enough, and prayed enough, this stuff wouldn't keep happening to you. I was unsafe. I was a child. I was alone, yet surrounded by people, some of whom suspected or knew of the abuse no one provided meaningful intervention that led to safety no one
0: i mean that's a pretty solid linda listen but if you have another one by all means i'm good
1: i'm good if you give me a platform i'll just keep talking (laughs) because i made the commitment i'm gonna give it my all that's that's my thing Yeah. And I do, I do tend to speak with a lot of emotion in my voice. I apologize. Like, I'm not really upset with you at all. Like, I'm just, I have emotions and it comes out.
0: No, that's good. Let it out. This is the place to do that. So I appreciate you being honest and vulnerable. It's been an amazing episode. Thank you again for sharing. I know it's going to help a lot of people out there who may be watching and going through something similar or wanting to help someone who's been through something similar. So do you have any final thoughts before we go?
1: Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate the opportunity. And I'd just ask everybody, When you think a child is being abused, what are you doing? Are you doing anything? Are you sitting back and pretending it's not your problem? Because either you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Choose carefully what you do. You can't do both. You can't be silent and expect the violence to end.
0: Yeah, I agree. There is a a commenter who frequently posts on the videos, Cats Cats News, we appreciate your support. And they said, break the silence, break the cycle. And I just think that's really, really powerful. It's time to break the silence and wash away all of this darkness. Bring it to light.
1: Shine a light on it. You know what? Rise from the ashes of the fires they burned us in.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you again. You were great guys. I will put all of her links, anything that we've mentioned in this episode in the description below so you can find support. Um, Please comment some words of encouragement. They always mean a lot to both of us. And if you'd like to support the podcast even further, aside from liking and sharing, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash cults to consciousness. And if you like this video and you want to see something similar, I'll put some here for you to check out. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Consciousness or reach out by email at Consciousness at gmail.com.